This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Beat on. So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, we got a special treat for you here on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. You know, we've had a lot of XAs on recently when you think of Gio Gonzalez or Josh Reddick, all the guys we have had on. This guy truly was one of the best and was a great guy to cover, and it's been fun to watch his career blossom. The all-star Sean Doolittle is with us here on A's Cast Live. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Tony. Thanks for having me. You know, I tell the story all the time about your journey, and when all of a sudden it just wasn't going to work as a first baseman, you went to Keith Lippman and said, hey, I'd like to pitch. And next thing you know, it was like a, a Disney movie. You went from A-ball to double-A to triple-A. And next thing you know, I was doing your first interview with you in the A's dugout. It, it, just just tell us what this journey has been like for you, going from a guy that was supposed to be a first baseman now to an all-star closer. Um, I'll tell you what, it, it definitely changed my perspective on, on a lot of things, uh, both on and off the field. But um, it was there were some dark times. You know, I was uh, – battling the injuries I missed three consecutive full seasons in the minor leagues and uh, was really starting to question whether or not uh, you know baseball was was meant to be and uh, I was even looking at going back to school and and finishing my degree and um, I got together with Lip and and asked if uh, you know we had started a throwing program I had been working on it and I asked if I could switch when I got some more bad news from the doctor about my wrist and um, he, he, I'll never forget his response. He said, well, I'm, I'm kind of surprised you hadn't asked about this sooner. Um, <laughs> but, I'm, um, you know, I, I'm very grateful for the way that things turned out. Um, it obviously was a little bit more of the scenic route to get to the big leagues. But, but like I said, um, I don't take a, a single day here for granted anymore. And, um, I, I'm really just trying to make the absolute most of it because, you know, sometimes I, I feel like I'm on borrowed time a little bit. Um, so I'm trying to enjoy it. Uh, and maximize the experience as much as possible. And the crazy thing about you is that when you came up in 2012, that's when the A's were going on this historic run chasing down the Texas Rangers. So it's not like you just came up and started pitching and learning your way. You started pitching in meaningful games like right away and became a big part of this bullpen. What was that like? 
That was, um, I think I might've been like too young and dumb to really realize what was going on and, 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 you know, kind of the gravity of the moment. Um, but I, I'm very grateful that I had a number of people that, that really helped me get my feet under me right away. And, uh, from guys in the bullpen, like I got to learn from Grant Balfour and Brian Fuentes was even there for a, a little bit after I got called up and, you know, he's one of the few lefties. He's got over 200 saves in the big leagues and he really took me under his wing, um, you know, from day one. And I, even though we only overlapped for a month or so, I, I learned so much from him. Uh, Jerry Blevins, another guy that I'm still friends with and keep in touch with. Um, and, you know, Bob Melvin showing, showing the, the trust. He was putting us in, in, uh, you know, some high leverage spots and giving us the opportunity to go out there and kind of earn our stripes. So, um, it was, it, it really was in a lot of ways, kind of a, uh, there were a lot of things that, that really fell into place that, that helped me a lot in 2012. You know, pretty amazing your relationship with the, with, with the fan base. And I think of everybody in right field putting their, their hand underneath their chin with the elbow pointing out just the way that you did, <laughs> you know, talk about, and with all the XAs that we've been having on this show, everybody had their own special relationship with A's fans. What was your special relationship like with this great fan base? Oh man, it's, uh, you know, it, it it's kind of hard to put into words, um, but you're right. It, w- it was a very special relationship. I think I had a little bit um, of a special connection with them because my, you know, my first introduction to baseball when I was a little kid, um, you know, you guys know the story. My family had a season tickets and we used to come over from the Valley and um, you know, we had a weekend package. So um, every home weekend we were up sitting in the seats above third base and um, you know, so I don't know if that helps me connect with them at all. Um, but I, I certainly felt like it did. And you're right there. There are, the A's might not have the biggest fan base, but they certainly have some of the more passionate fans, the more loyal fans in baseball. And they connect with the players and, you know, seeing the way they would headbang um, to Metallica when I came into the game and, and, and they would, uh, you know, they had the elbow pose going like I, just like I did when I took my signs. Um, it was really cool. It makes you feel like you're a part of something, um, you know, a little bit bigger. It's, it's uh, it, it was really cool. You know, D.C. is uh, one of the most unique areas that we have in the United States, obviously, because of, uh, <laughs> of, of the white. Way, that's a good way to put it, I think. Yeah, well, it's, it, it, it's taxation with no representation, as they like to say in the district. But playing for the Nationals, what is it like? I'm sure you're running into all kinds of politicians and, and, and bigwigs. What's it like playing for the Nats? <laughs> no, you know, uh, the the – the big wigs that I run into, I'm lucky that um, I get to see them on a daily basis. Guys like Max Scherzer and uh, Steven Strasburg, um, Ryan Zimmerman, um, guys that have, um, you know, they, when I walked into that locker room for the first time, I was I was a little bit uh, kind of starstruck. Um, I kind of felt like I was at like some kind of all star game. These were guys that I had seen uh, on ESPN, you know, like. Uh, national tv games in the spotlight bryce harper was still there at the time when i got traded over um but um getting getting a chance to share a clubhouse with them and learn from those guys has been uh such an awesome experience for me i feel like it's helped me so much um both in the conversations that we've had kind of behind the scenes about preparation and and game planning and stuff and uh, but also just watching the way that they go about their business and, and seeing the things that make them 
uh, you know, so successful. So um, I'm, I'm really, I'm really, really lucky uh, that I, that I ended up where I did. What were you guys thinking when Max Scherzer goes out there with the with, with the black eyes and the broken nose? It was like, what is this? This guy's a lunatic. What What were you guys thinking when when you saw that? Hey, I you know what? I was joking around with some of the guys, and I said, I can't wait. Um, you know, someday when I'm old, uh, I'm gonna visit Cooperstown, and Max's plaque is gonna have a. Um, uh, his nose is going to be a little crooked on his plaque, and I'm going to tell everybody that I was, I was there when that happened, uh, and it was in a bunting drill before the game one day. Um, but uh, it's just another, it's just another uh, chapter in the in the the legend. The legend grows, um, you know, of Mad Max, and um, he's he's an unbelievable competitor, and um, I know a part of him was really excited when he woke up that next morning and saw the way that the blood had kind of pooled under his eyes. Um, I know that he was a little bit excited about, um, you know, staring down a hitter with uh, with a, a pretty gnarly black eye. How much did you guys appreciate steadying the course, getting back in this thing, and not trading people away, and still going for this division, and still going after the Atlanta Braves? Oh man, um, it's been such a crazy season for us. Um, you know, we didn't get off to the start that we wanted to, and then we really kind of hit—not kind of—we did hit rock bottom in at the end of May. Uh, we got swept in a four-game series by the Mets in New York, and. Um, all four games were, were really, really tough losses because we, I think we had leads late. Um, we let them slip away. We couldn't get that shutdown inning and that big hit. Um, so it was really, really tough. And that's when, you know, it was only May. And that's when a lot of the rumors started swirling about possible trades. Um, you know, Davey Martinez found himself, um, in the hot seat. Um, but fortunately we had such a veteran group that, guys had been through stuff like this before and nobody panicked. Um, and we, we kind of just kind of looked around. We had several team meetings, uh, uh, but we kind of looked around and said, you know, we're, we're better than this. We know that um, we're not sure how good we can be, but it can't get any worse than this. So let's go see what we can do. Maybe we can spoil somebody else's fun. Let's make some noise and see what happens. And um, we started having more fun. Um, I can't say enough about what Gerardo Parra has added to the team in terms of just the energy that he brings. Um, you know, I, I don't know if anybody has seen our games, but we got guys dancing in the dugout after home runs. We got people dancing in the clubhouse after games, uh, after we win. Um, you know, and, and I, I tell guys all the time the story of, you know, you mentioned it earlier, the, the, the 2012 team that uh, – shoot, got to 500 at the all-star break and was uh, five games back with nine to play and, uh, you know, ended up winning the division on the last day of the season. And they kind of look at me like, you know, they got like deer in the headlights, like, oh, my gosh, like you guys really did that. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of talent in our clubhouse and um, it, it's going to be it's going to be a fun uh, August and September, that's for sure. You know, and I, I'm so glad you bring that up because we live in this world of analytics and all this kind of stuff. And I like to say on the show all the time, you know, a team's playing best when they have joy and they have love for each other. And when you have that and you're having that kind of fun, it, it just makes a world of difference. And I'm glad to hear you guys have that right now. 
Yeah, it's been um, – it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like that in, in, in April and May. Things were kind of tough. We were trying to find our identity as a team. Um, but you're right. That, that's, there's certain things that, that, that still can't be quantified. Um, I, I, I've, I've gotten into the analytics and some of the data stuff, and I, I think there's a place for it in the game. But at the end of the day, um, so much is about just the feel that you have in the clubhouse and, and the vibe that's in there. And when you're coming to the field every day, expecting to win, having fun, just being around your teammates, um, it's a, it's so much, it's so much more fun. It's hard to do. I didn't realize really how how special that was. And those those years in 12 and 13 in Oakland, those were you know those were my first two years in the league. I, I didn't know anything else, but that kind of stuff is hard to come by. And when you find it, um, you, you got to run with it and, and see if you can really take advantage of it and, and make the most of it. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's end on this. I want you to know there haven't been really any A's players who have ever had a weekly radio show where they were a guest every single week. You're, I, I really believe you're the only guy that's ever had that, and I think that, that says everything about how the fan base felt about you, the, organ, the organization, uh, that that really is something that I always look back and went, man, he's got a weekly deal. You're, it's like you and Bob <laughs> Melvin are the only guys. <laughs> hey, I, I'll tell you what, I enjoyed my time in Oakland so much. Um, I, I love the way I was very lucky that the fans embraced me in the way that they did. Um, I was sad to leave uh, because of all the connections that I had to the organization and, you know, to the Bay Area. I lasted six years in Oakland. That's a pretty good run. Um, so, uh, I, I'm, I'm very happy that I ended up where I did, uh, and I'll always have a, a lot of, uh, gratitude and appreciation for, uh, the Bay area. Hey, thank you so much for the time. And I just want you to know we're all rooting for you guys and the Nats be well, and, uh, hopefully we'll get you into the postseason. All right, Tony. Yeah. Maybe we'll see you guys down the road. You never know. We have the ba- baseball Brit, Joey Mellows. Welcome to A's cast live. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm tip-top. Thanks ever so much for having me on. So what exactly is this journey that you're on that actually started with us in Japan when the A's were taking on the Mariners? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so I'm on a, a, a pretty crazy mission to, to see 162 professional baseball games uh, this, uh, this year. Um, the, the point originally was to try and grow interest in baseball before the before the London series between the, between the Red Sox and Yankees uh, in uh, June. But uh, we have the Cubs and Cardinals coming over next year, so now I'm just trying to finish this mission off and hopefully write a book about the experience and uh, grow interest in baseball back in my native Europe. So how, how is the journey going? Are you on pace to get it done? Well, today I was fortunate that I was at the Giants game at lunchtime. I've just arrived at uh, an independent ballpark in Vallejo where CC Tabatu is from. And uh, I can do a doubleheader today. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's days like this that really help. But, uh, yeah, the trip's going to be pretty crazy. And it's going to be, it'd be interesting to see if I can squeeze all the games in. That is, that is pretty cool. And I'm assuming you went back for when the Yankees played the Red Sox at Wembley. I was, yeah. And what a couple of crazy games they were. We had, uh, you know, obviously the highest regular season attendance for any Major League Baseball game this season, uh, over 59,000 both days. And, uh, you know, that first game, it was 92 degrees Fahrenheit when uh, Porcello threw the first pitch, I think it was, and he gave up one out. 
and then was six earned runs was taken out of the game. Tanaka came in two two outs, and then he gave up six earned runs was taken out of the game. The game lasted four hours and forty two minutes. It was quite the introduction to baseball for you know for the British uh, regular fan, I guess you could say. So, how was our game received back there after we did see the game? of four hours and 42 minutes, and the other game they played at Wembley was four hours and 24 minutes. How, how, how was Major League Baseball received? I think it was received uh, overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, the, the ballpark was in a, a soccer stadium, which is uh, West Ham United Football Club's normal stadium where the Olympics were held in 2012. They, they only had a certain number of days to turn it into a ballpark. They did a fantastic job. Almost every single person I spoke that went to those two games in London had a fantastic time. And it was shown on BBC Live, uh, you know, behind the red button, so you could click on it and watch it for free online. Um, and I think, you know, baseball's about to take off in Europe, personally. Well, I've always thought about whether it's the NFL or Major League Baseball. If they moved a team there and you're a superstar player, the amount of money you could potentially make on endorsements, like, say, a star baseball player or like a quarterback, I've always thought that would be huge. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, uh, of the two sports, the NFL is far more likely to to have a London-based team. The Jacksonville Jaguars have been over for several years now, uh, and their owner, Khan, uh, also owns Fulham Football Club, uh, and he's tried to purchase Wembley, which is where the England national soccer team plays. So I think it's very likely that the NFL will move, uh, or at least have a London-based franchise in the next five years. But baseball, I'm not so sure. You know, uh, that's a much longer process in terms of educating people about the sport and introducing it to them. Um, through media, so uh, we'll see what happens there. But NFL, I think, is pretty likely. Yeah, I was just back there last year with the Oakland Raiders, and uh, I'll be there later this year when the Raiders are taking on the Bears, and I agree with you. Seeing the fan support there for the NFL, I I think it would definitely work. Uh, Getting back to you, how tough is this journey for you from a standpoint of travel? Um, I mean, what I'm doing is watching baseball every day. So, you know, for the listeners, there's nothing tough about what I'm doing at all. I'm very fortunate to be in this position. Uh, there is a lot of trust that takes place. Where, you know, for I've been sleeping on a guy's floor in Oakland for the last five nights. And, uh, you know, not a bed or anything, just a floor. But uh, I'm very fortunate to be in this position. There's nothing tough about it. I'm excited to be driving down to uh, L.A. and then San Diego later this week and. uh as I said, I hope to write a book about the experiences because so many crazy things have happened on the road that I don't put on my Twitter account. So, yeah, just uh, just thrilled to be watching baseball on a regular basis. Yes, and your Twitter account is at BaseballBrit. Will you go to every single Major League Baseball park this year? I will, yeah, and I'm saving Toronto the Blue Jays till last because I'm worried that the U.S. immigration officers may get very suspicious about why I'm re-entering the country again. So, yeah, the Blue Jays will be September the 27th to the 29th as the season ends. And if I can get back to postseason, if your immigration officers let me, then that's the plan. But if not, I'll have to head home and just start writing this book up and uh, reflecting on a lovely year. Oh, we got to get you into the postseason. We got to get Major League really Baseball. So. We got to get Major League Baseball to pull some strings here. <laughs> if you can help at all, that would be awesome. But uh, if not, I'll go home and I've still had a lovely time. So, yeah, no worries either way. Traveling around, what's the what's the maybe good, maybe bad, but what's the number one thing you've learned about Americans traveling all around our country? You know, without you know, meaning to sound too smalty, but uh, the average American is incredibly warm and friendly and uh, honest and open and accommodating and, you know, perhaps sometimes, you know, more trusting than I'd expect them to be. But, 
yeah, it's just been the people I've met on the trip. It's always the people you spend time with that, you know, make, you know, time on this planet enjoyable. So I've met so many wonderful baseball fans and people that have, like, let me stay on their sofas or in their garages or whatever, just let me sleep in the car on their drive, uh, you know, whilst I'm trying to get through this crazy journey I'm doing. And uh, for me, that's always the best thing about the trip is the people you talk to and meet on the way. And, of course, you, you get to learn about baseball families and whether it's fans or it's organizations how much our game is really a family game yeah and it's so different from the soccer that i got brought up on back in england i'm uh, my father was uh, was a professional soccer player um, and i grew up around soccer players and going to my local soccer club it was established in 1898 which is very old by american standards and you know, it's it's pretty much 90% men and they're drunk and it's, it's pretty aggressive and tribal. And, you know, you come out to a ballpark here and it's so warm and welcoming and there's kids and families and as many women as men. And, you know, it's it's something for the community to kind of come, you know, come together at and have a lovely time together. So, you know, that's amazing, something I've really enjoyed, just how, how baseball brings people together, really, regardless of where you're from or what your background is. How possibly can my fan base help you out? His fans, uh, I mean, I was at the Coliseum. The Coliseum, for me, it, it's one of my favorite ballpark experiences. It's, it's grungy, it's grimy, it's, it has imperfections. Of course it does. But the fans that are there are so passionate. Uh, they've got the music, the drums. They're really behind their team. You know, the A's have always been a fairly unorthodox team in terms of how they put a roster together. We have a very large Oakland uh, Athletics fan base back in the United Kingdom. And they're a team I really hope more people back in Europe, you know, get behind. Uh, because I think they're doing things in a kind of, you know, grassroots way, from to, uh, you know, from bottom to top rather than from top to bottom. And I, I fully support them, and I hope they, you know, I hope they get to the postseason this year. Joey, we really appreciate your time. Good luck on your journey. And when it's all said and done, we'd have to love, we'd love to have you back on and, and to hear that you made all 162. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Tim, this is Chris Towns with A's Cast Live. Thank you for coming on the program. My pleasure. How are you? We're doing great. And you know what? You were just uh, in Chicago looking at the uh, athletics and the Chicago Cubs. Is there anything better than beautiful weather and Fenway, and excuse me, at Wrigley Field in the summer? Uh, nothing's better than that. And we got to watch the game from the stands. We broadcast the game from the left center field bleachers which was a different vantage point than I've ever sat at at a major league game. And it was the weather was perfect. It was a great game. We don't get many great games these days, but we did that night. It was absolutely tremendous. Yeah. So tell us the experience. Cause you know, your career, you're, you're used to being behind home plate. What is it like when you're not behind home plate? <laughs> well, on every time I keep score, which, of course, is every game I've ever been to in my entire life, and I'm 62, I always make sure I show where the ball was hit. You know, a single, whether a single, triple, double, home run to left field or right field, I had a little trouble <laughs> at different vantage point pointing to the right field in which the ball was hit. I didn't get it wrong on the air, unfortunately, but it was it was a little bit unusual. But it was it was fascinating to watch a game from there. I had a little trouble figuring out whether that ball is gone, or fair, or foul, whatever. But thankfully, we have Dave Fleming on the play-by-play, -play, so we got to it pretty quickly. <laughs> and looking at this series and the Chicago Cubs, 
It's amazing how good they are at home as they got the athletics today and they take two out of three. They're 40 and 19 at Wrigley Field and they're only 21 and 33 away from the friendly confines. But I want to give this to you. The Cubs in 19 home series are 14, 1, and 4. Tim, they've only lost one series at home this year. Isn't that amazing? It is. And only the Marlins have a worse record on the road in the National League this year than the Cubs. And that doesn't make any sense. And, of course, I had David Ross to my left for a three-and-a-half-hour game, and I asked him multiple times, what is this? And I think the Wrigley crowd has something to do with it. The night we were there, there were 40,000, and I swear to you, not a 1,000 people left before the end of that game. And it was festive, and it was tremendous atmosphere, and maybe that is what is pushing the Cubs. And yet, when you look at that road record, and you know eventually they're going to have to go on the road to play whatever it is, the Dodgers, the Braves, somebody else, they're going to have to do a whole lot better than they've done this year it's a fascinating look at home road because the cub split is just about as severe as anybody. Uh, you know, we had our buddy uh, Mark Gonzalez on from the Chicago Tribune earlier today for our A's pregame show, and it just seems like everything's not right in Chicago, and it seems like they have to go deep into the postseason. If they don't, sounds like Joe Madden won't be back. Will that be a bad move for the Chicago Cubs to part ways with him? Um, well, I can't imagine how it's a good move. I think he's done a tremendous job since he's been in Chicago. But let's face it, things have really changed in the big leagues over the last five years. In fact, there's been a bigger change in the last five years than my first 35 years covering the game. And one of the biggest changes is the role of the manager, the value of the manager, and I'm just not sure we value our managers, our veterans, old kind of guys today who have a great feel for the game, a great understanding for the game. I'm just not sure they have the same value that they used to have. And Joe Madden fits into that category. And I would agree if they don't make the playoffs or have a good run in the playoffs, this could be the last year for Joe Madden in Chicago, and I think if they let him go on any level, it would be a mistake. But, again, this is where we are now in baseball. Give us a younger guy, you know, uh, maybe more embracing of saver metrics, and that's the kind of guy we're looking for today, not the Joe Maddens, but I still think there's tremendous value in older guys that can see things like Joe Madden can. Well, I'll tell you what, and I think this will be speaking your language. We really value our manager, Bob Melvin. We think the world of him, what he's been able to do since he came here. I always talk about how there was like a black cloud over the organization, and Bob Melvin showed up, and that black cloud blew away. You think about the way he can communicate with his players. All of his players love him. Recently, I've had Gio Gonzalez on, Sean Doolittle, and all the old A's who come back still talk about how they have such a wonderful relationship with Bob, the way he relates to the players, also the way that Bob can implement analytics. So I, I know in a lot of places people may not be valuing, uh, valuing their manager, but I can tell you, Tim, we love our manager, and we know how lucky we are to have him. Well, I think 
you guys love him more than anyone, but it's, it's a close second with everyone else because there's no reason not to love the job that Bob Melvin has done this year and really the last nine years in Oakland. He is so smart, which cannot be undervalued. He communicates with people, whether it's the media, his players, owners, GMs, better than almost anyone. He has such a great touch and feel, and that's what we have gotten away from in our game is a touch and feel with players and with the game, and that's what he does so well is he understands the sabermetrics. He's going to implement whatever the front office sends to him, and yet he's going to trust his eyes and ears during the playing of the game to understand that, no, this right now is the way to go with this situation. And that's what makes him such a good manager is he handles both sides of a very complicated equation. Yeah, also very complicated. And we were in Tampa, and I got to see it for myself. And, you know, to see that they put an analytics guy in their dugout in uniform and that we know that simply the manager is really not making decisions. All the decisions are pretty much made for him it's, I got to believe it's hard. I mean, obviously they're doing well, but it's got to be hard to have full respect from your players if they know you're not calling the shots. Right, and that's, that's where we are in the game today. And I really think it's imperative that the players recognize that once the game starts, our guy is in charge here. And I don't want to go too far back. But the 2017 World Series, the Astros, very, very sabermetrically oriented, had a game plan for the last three games of that World Series. And A.J. Hinch, the manager of the Astros, recognized, all right, this is the way to go. And then he changed course when he saw how well Joe Musgrove and Brad Peacock and you know Charlie Morton were throwing the ball at the end of those games. And he said, this is what we're going to stay with. And that's what's so good about this is that the really good managers can understand in the watching of the game that this is where we need to go. And that's, again, where Bob Melvin is so good. He trusts the analytics, but he trusts the eyes, his eyes and ears and those of his coaches as much as anybody. Now, we got a long way to go. I understand that. But you've covered this game for a long time. I want you to handicap it for me. If you had to pick somebody out of the National League and you had to pick somebody out of the American League right now where we are today, who would you take? <laughs> well, I love this game so much that I don't even pretend to know what's going to happen. This is not the NBA or even the NFL. There are no guarantees in this sport. But I think the Astros' acquisition of Zach Greinke has absolutely separated them from even the Yankees in the American League. I just think you win so often with your starting pitching and your bullpen, of course, in the postseason that I think the Astros are the are the team to beat in the American League right now. And the Dodgers are the clear team to beat in the National League. That doesn't mean things can change. The beauty of baseball is that it changes all the time. But those are the two best teams that I've seen, at least in the last couple of weeks. And Greinke has really added something there. And I'm such a believer, like, 
Who are you going to start in the playoffs? Which three guys are starting in the five-game series? I'm not sure you're going to beat the Dodger guys or the Astro guys at this point. Yeah, and I think about Grinky, and we'll end on this, Tim. It's just not it's just not the arm that you're getting, but it's the message to your players inside the clubhouse going, boys, we're making this move because we want to win it all. Don't you think this just – for already a great ball club, it even it even energizes them even more. Yeah, I'm a big believer, and I didn't used to be, that when the clubhouse looks around and says, oh, my goodness, we just added Zach Greinke, that tells them the front office ownership is really trying to win here. We just took on not only gave up four prospects, but $53 million. They're trying to win. Now it's up to us the players to win. I really believe that has something to do with it, and I think it sends a message all the way through the clubhouse, and I think a similar message, kind of, was sent through the Red Sox clubhouse, for instance, that they really didn't get anyone of significance on the final couple days, and those guys looked around and said, what, they don't think we can win, and then I think it gets in their heads, and that, I think, is an important part and that's one reason the Astros did what they did, is tell everyone on the team we're here to win, and we're here to win now. Tim, it's always great to have you on. You're one of the best in our business. I always appreciate the time, and let's talk soon. Thanks very much. Pleasure being on. See you. The Hall of Famer. It is an honor to have you on the program, Ace Cast Live with Chris Townsend. Thank you for taking the time. We truly appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. How much fun are you having with this program? I know it's a, a, a kids-focused show, and it's going to be great to see you with the three guys, but how much fun are you having where, you, where you're teaching people how to play this great game? Well, you know, the show comes together in, like, so many different ways. It's amazing how they put it together. And, of course, it starts in spring training, and, and uh, everybody who gets a chance to uh, be part of the show has – different segments and different opportunities to be with players and ask questions and learn just about as much as whoever's watching the program. And so it started for me in in uh, Arizona, which I don't get to very often because my whole spring training career spent on uh, in Florida. So the last couple of years I've had a chance to visit some sites I've never seen uh, in Arizona and the A's were, were, uh, were one of my stops, so I enjoyed just a whole new venture for me personally, uh, getting a chance to see spring training in a different light. You know, I've always wanted to ask you this because it's one of the greatest games I've ever watched. It was one of the greatest duels that you had with Jack Morris. And you know, looking back on that game, Game 7, what was that like going pitch for pitch and you guys just putting up zeros? Truly one of the greatest games I've ever seen. Yeah, it was a magical year for us. Of course, the second half run, chasing down the Dodgers and the Reds, and for me personally, uh, shaking my first half, two and eleven, going twelve and two in the second half, and feeling unbeatable. From people, the, the condensed story is, of course, I didn't do very well in the first half, and then I got a chance to pitch the nine-inning clinching game to put us into the playoffs, the second to the last game of the year, then the seventh game of the pennant against the. Pirates pitching nine innings and not giving up a run and then getting a chance to basically do the trifecta coming back on three days rest to pitch in game seven um, in Minnesota and, and not giving up a run. So I thought I was going to go nine. 
Uh, I always dreamt as a kid what it would be like to pitch in game sevens. I did it all the time in my mind against a brick wall, put myself in every imaginable situation possible. And it was as much as the dream that I had that what I did when I was a kid, I felt like I was right in the moment I needed to be. And, you know, you don't think about how tired you are at the end of the season. You don't, you don't think about any of that. And I never thought that I would come out of the game uh, never given up a run, but you know, that game was epic. Uh, Jack Morris had a few years on me. He could tell his manager to go get back on the dugout. I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, ultimately it was one of those uh, games that will be forever remembered as game seven classic. You know, sometimes the big moment, it just crushes people. And for you, whether it was a starter as a closer now even as a golfer making the senior U.S. Open, I mean, what is it about you and the big moment and you never fear it? Well, I'm not afraid to fail and learn. Uh, I've had a lot of failures. I've had a lot of low moments, but I'm not afraid of the moment. And I, I relish this opportunity. Um, the bigger the moment, the slower my heartbeat. And the more I was more actually relaxed, I, I channel my focus in a way that I just couldn't do in a regular season game 36 times. Um and I just I felt like I my my attributes played well at that moment. I'm an aggressive pitcher. I love facing aggressive hitters. Everyone um, treats that moment a little bit differently. And and I um, like I said, I put myself in those situations to be successful. And if I was fail, if I had you know, if I failed, I learned my I, I wasn't afraid of it. You can't be afraid of any moment you step in. That doesn't mean you're not going to be nervous. Doesn't mean you're not going to have an out of body experience. But if you're afraid of even attempting something, there's no chance you're going to be successful. And there's no chance you'll ever learn to be great. And I think there's a lot of people that would just assume every athlete has the DNA qualities to be in those moments, and that just is not true. You guys had one of the great runs in baseball history, and because of TBS – we all got to watch it, right? Everybody around the country got to see you and, and, and Tom and, and Greg and the rotation that you had. What was it like being a part of that group and really being able to do it on the national stage? Yeah, we went from kind of a laughing stock uh, because we were so bad, everyone was seeing how bad we were, to America's kind of team because of that, that station you were talking about. It became, um, it became an awesome thing for us. Um, once we turned it around... We had fans all over the place. That's unlike what today where you can see every team, every game, and in, in, in every venue basically on some form of of TV or, or, or app. And I think, you know, for us, um, it, it, it grew into something we never could have dreamt. Um, my parents got to watch every one of my games, which was cool. I grew up in Lansing, Michigan, drafted by the Tigers, thought that my hometown team would be – where I'm going to be, but we had tremendous fans all over the country because of that TBS. And, you know, if Ted Turner could do it all over again, he might've made different decisions and uh, it still might be what it is, but uh, certainly um, without TBS, I don't know what the Braves franchise would have been like. You know, I'm going to ask you about Zach Granke, but I think about when you guys got Greg Maddox. Like, he's, you know, he's a free agent, pitching for the Cubs. People thought he was going to go to the Yankees. They thought all of a sudden you hear that, you know, you got Tom Glavin, you got John Schmoltz. Now you're adding Greg Maddox. What was that like for you guys? Well, I can remember where I was, what time of the night it was. I couldn't believe it. And it put us in a position to feel like we were legit now, you know, um, having 91 and 92 under our belts. Um, 
this was just something that you just you never thought you'd see the day where we were going to add a, a pitcher like Greg Maddox and then, of course, pitch together for 10 years, add a Steve Avery. Um, we had so many pieces that we surrounded the big three around that it made us such a unique um, franchise that, you know, you wish could last forever, but it did seem like it lasted forever. Ten years for the three of us together will never happen in the history of the game again, ever, unless there's a dramatic change in some rules and how things are operated. You just don't anticipate that ever happening again. So I was laying in bed, saw the news, I went, we are going to win a world championship now. And uh, we thought we had a, you know, we should have won a few more. There's no doubt about that. Should have three in our back pocket without even coming up with an excuse. But we did go 14 times in a row. At least I was able to go 14 times in a row. And in 95, we, we finally took down one to at least get the monkey off our back. Well, and I think now what, what Houston, Houston is all in. And you look at the arms that they have. When you heard Grinky is going to Houston, what'd you think? Well, I, I really believe that gave them the depth and the opportunity to be successful, not only this year, but next year and the following year. So it put them in a pretty nice spot. It made them the prohibited favorite uh, to, to, to think that the, their rotation would have to have a lot of things go wrong for them to not be the favorite. And, and I'll be honest. I mean, Grinky speaks for itself. I mean, he's a unique athletic pitcher, that commands the baseball and changes speeds. But the guy that they got under that radar is Aaron Sanchez. Once they got him, that's when I went, wow, how they pulled that off. And for what they pulled it off, I think you're going to look back on this trade and you're going to see a a young dynamic arm go back to where he once was when he led the league in ERA uh, and his uh, identity has been a little bit shaken since his moving from back and forth from rotation to the bullpen. Well, no doubt Houston won the trading deadline, but the other team that did real well in remaking their bullpen was your Atlanta Braves. They did. I thought they did the most with what they could sure up and, you know, and give themselves some veteran experience, uh, give that really good season they're having so far with a great offense this is gonna this is gonna bode well for them if they have any chance to go deep or even match up with let's just say the LA Dodgers, which everybody has to go through to get to the World Series. And look, the the, the young arms, the talent, the offensive years that a lot of these guys are having has been special. That's why they're in first. But the one thing that was looming over their head that got a little scary every time the ninth inning rolled around was just the experience. They lacked it, and now they've gotten out and really made their bullpen in, in a place where uh, I think they can contend with anybody now. Yeah, and I think about the Dodgers, and they got so much, and they're so powerful, and they're so great, but it, they just seem shaky at the back of the bullpen now. Were you surprised they didn't do anything? Well, I am a little surprised, but then when you see the young arms they've been able to bring up lately, those arms are going to be in the pen. So, you know, May could very well be a weapon for them. Uh Urias is going to be somebody that they ride probably pretty hard. Uh, so, yes, I, I think a lot of people were surprised, but they weren't willing to give up some of that prime talent that they've got coming that just kind of morphs into the next next year. Their pitching staff is going to be better, and that's hard to believe. Their starting rotation is going to be better next year if everything works the way it, it should with these young arms because Urias will be in the in, in the starting rotation. So I think there was a – 
an easy guy that everyone was talking about they should go get, the closer for the Pirates, Velasquez, but they stood pat and they're going to trust their young arm and piece it together that way. And I think about the guy that we're going to see you interviewing on Saturday, Blake Trinan, who had one of the great years as a closer last year but is completely struggling this year. What advice would you give Blake Trinan to try and turn him around? Well, I've been saying this for the last five years, and I'm telling you that all this information is great and all the usage is great and all the different ways that we try to get people out might be great, but it's great for short stints. It's great for one year, maybe two years. And when you push these guys to the limit and you have to go as hard as they did, and the A's had an unbelievable year last year, probably blew everybody away by 12 to 15 games of a win expectancy that you thought they might be able to reach. And they went to their bullpen because they had to. And that usage year to year just has an impact on a player. And I did the role for three years, and it was the most exhausted I've ever been in my life. And I'm I'm talking about – as a starter, I pitched 260 innings and 40 innings in the postseason. So the difference between the two is the max effort and availability and getting up and down all the time. So it's it's not so much what advice I would give is it's the ability to try to, you know, you get tapped out. And we're seeing the highest uh, ERA in bullpens in a long time. We're seeing the worn down effect of what I guess you could say analytically is the the way to play the game and how to get run prevention by using as many pitchers with max stuff. And I feel bad for some of these guys who, you know, I had, I had the luxury of playing 20 years, 21 years. I don't know how many pitchers are going to be able to put pitch the way they're pitching now much more than seven to 10 years, yet alone three to five. So it's a tough, it's a tough road. to That's, that's a tough question because the ability to get out there and get after it every single time with max stuff and max effort, it looks good when it's right, and then you have to worry about what happens when you're not right. Where does your stuff go? Does your sinker sink as much? Are you have are you exploding in the strike zone as much? You know, and so Blake has is, is experienced something that will forever change his career, knowing he has the ability to be that nasty. But year in and year out and year in, it's going to be interesting to see how you manage that you know, from a work uh, workload. Let's end on this. You got into the Baseball Hall of Fame because you have unbelievable numbers. And, and I get people all the time with all these analytics and everything where they say, oh, wins for starting pitchers is overrated. Saves are overrated. So for a guy that won all those games and saved all those games, as a pitcher, how do you feel when people say that? Well, again, I mean – each era has gone through different styles of baseball and different ways of getting it done. But to just dismiss certain fan-based statistics, I think you do a disservice for the game. And when you say these things and when people try to discount them and they come up with all these algorithms and analytics to try to replace everything, to make everything an absolute – a player like myself knows that that can't happen. It'll have its time. It'll run its course. The pendulum will always swing too far. But you show me a guy that knows how to win and gets wins for his teams, and I'll show you a pitcher that's valuable. You give me a guy that closes and saves 40 to 50 games a year 
you're going to see a successful team. So even though they're trying to put little less importance on that, there's value in a player knowing how to maximize his team's chances to win a game by his performance. And yes, there are things to show and ways to show the value of a pitcher without the wins and the saves. But the one thing that gets lost in this whole um, new shift is it becomes a very individual sport then, and it becomes a one-way sport to kind of become a little bit too robotic, and we've taken the athleticism out of the game a little bit. But I'm telling you, with all the way the game has changed and the way the guys perform today, it will turn. It will shift. Teams will counter. Teams will find out how to put themselves in a better situation long-term instead of short-term. I think pitchers will eventually go back to having more responsibilities put upon them than these short stints and these max efforts because the reason I think this is because injury rates are so great that unless they can keep throwing the factory arms left, right, and you know every other year, then I think teams are going to have to think a little differently about how they've thought it should go, the numbers tell them what it should do, and then a balance between the two. And if you can balance those numbers and balance the the ability to see things um, from the side of of the people that are in charge, I think you're going to see baseball kind of turn back and get a little closer to the eras that we were used to. That's just my opinion because the sustainability of of how we're going about it today is is in my mind looking in a in a somewhat of a hourglass of, of predictions, I think that, you know, eventually you run out of that pitching and eventually those arms um, have to be prepared to, to, to do a little bit less max, max effort and more pitching. Play ball is this Saturday on the MLB Network at 7 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. Pacific, where John's going to be talking to Blake Trinan, Matt Olson, and Jerks and Profar. An absolute honor to have you on the program. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. He is the pride of Moraga, USC Trojan. Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. And, of course, with the MLB Network, I can tell you our colleague, Amelia Schimmel has told me for a long time now that it's her and Matt Vaskersian always repping the A's at the MLB Network and fighting for the A's, and he joins us now. Matt, always great to have you on the program. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, Chris, good being with you, man. How do I sound here? I'm on a headset. You sound you sound wonderful. Uh, how about that win today? <laughs> Mike Fires. Last 17 games, he's 9-0 and with a 2.12. Matt, you could say he's been the best pitcher in baseball. Uh, as crazy as that sounds, and I'm not one for that kind of hyperbole, it's not wrong. Uh, look, this is 19 straight starts with three or fewer runs allowed. Longest streak in the big leagues, not counting openers. Uh, and if you take away his his bad first month, which was – not encouraging. He's eight and one since then with a low twos ERA in now 19 starts, actually nine and one with the win today. So yes, he's been great. And it, but for the A's, it's, it's not like the other postseason teams for the A's because you cannot assume 
uh, a postseason chair. The A's are going to have to fight and scrap to get there in this little dog race for the AL wild card spots. Uh, if you're the Yankees or the Astros, you're just worried about lining guys up the right way and making sure people stay healthy. If you're the A's, they've got to keep plugging away through the end of September. And then once they get there, if it's a one-game wild card like it is like it was last year, who starts? Because the plan last year didn't work, right? When you, when you think you're going to use six guys to win a game, Godspeed. The opener thing, it, it, when you do it out of necessity, okay, great. But Mike Fires is pitching well enough to give the A's confidence that they could win a one-game playoff anywhere because he's a little better at home. But it's not like you have this big home road discrepancy. So, man, I love what he's doing for the A's right now and uh, glad to have him in the green and gold. Yeah, and the odds are you're going to be taking on either Minnesota or Cleveland because they're going to battle it out for the Central. And right now the A's so far this year against the Central, they're 15-4, and four, so they have done well there. Not only do we have to praise Mike Fires, but how about Bob Melvin today getting career win with the Athletics number 700? Yeah, that's really an awesome element of this. And uh, Bob flies below the radar nationally. Um, you know, look, people that follow the A's that know how good he is, he's not a secret, but I think he's still a relative secret in baseball because his brief time as interim manager in Milwaukee, uh, didn't really move the needle his time in Seattle and, uh, and in Phoenix, not so much, even though he he took the uh, diamondbacks to the NLCS one year, but man, he's really good. He gets people. He's, he is old school enough today to be able to survive all the new math and all the new metrics that are out there in baseball. Uh, but he still speaks that language and, and can talk that talk as well. He's good, man. And, I, again, like he's one of those guys that you just hope uh, can stay forever. And, it, and if and when he leaves, it's on his terms because uh, there's no greater Bob Melvin fan than I. Yeah, he could be passing Tony Larusa next year on the all-time list, and, and I, and I think about Bob. It's like real life, Matt. You know, in real life, the best bosses are people who are good communicators. And in baseball, one of the things that we're kind of lacking because we're so into numbers now, but you still got to manage the human beings, and I still think that's probably the biggest strength of Bob Melvin. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, he's a, he's a great – he runs a great game, A. He is a terrific tactician. Uh, he still has teacher in him. He has evaluator in him, and all that stuff's important to manage. But to your point, he, he gets people really well. He knows um, who's, who's legit and who isn't as a player. And I think the one the, – the guy that you could hold up in that example, and I'm, I'm not claiming that I have insider's knowledge over this, but when you look at Marcus Simeon's career trajectory and the faith that the organization had in him for such a long time to take him from a guy that, quite frankly, kicked it around a little bit defensively to being one of the best overall all-around shortstops in baseball right now, um, Bob must have seen that in him early because there were plenty of people along the course of Marcus's career that probably did or would have jumped ship on him as an all-around player because he was pretty raw defensively, but Bob was among his supporters, and I have to believe that that understanding the person, understanding that Marcus has that want and that great drive was part of his success story. 
Yeah, no doubt that Marcus Simeon turnaround is, is truly one of the best stories in all of baseball. And I think of one of the best stories in baseball right now. I love the nickname, the Baby Jays. And watching these Blue Jays, and, and we all watched their fathers for years. And they're going to play big for the A's down the stretch, Matt, because they've got seven games left with Tampa Bay, including the last three of the season. So from an Oakland standpoint, we're going to be rooting for these Baby Jays big time. Yeah, and they've you know it's it's good timing for the A's because they're they were not a good team in the first half of the season, and I I still don't believe that they're a good team, but they're dangerous now because after Vlad Guerrero got the one month training wheels off, uh, same thing with Kevin Biggio. Bichette has hit from the jump, which is frightening how good he's been to begin his major league career. But they're they're as dangerous now as a lineup as they've been all year long. Now that they're letting the kids play. Uh, and you hope that whatever effect they have on the A's is positive because really the way the, the, way the game is right now, Chris, and you know because you follow it, 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 with the haves and the have-nots, the bad teams have, have unfortunately made a bigger impact than they should have in the pennant races. Baltimore is the example. That, that team is really bad. And the Twins are undefeated in Baltimore this year. The Yankees are undefeated 10-0 in Baltimore this year. And that disparity between the winners and the losers, it, it really comes down to a, the luck of the schedule as to who gets to play them where and when, because those are free wins. I mean, you write those down as wins. When you go into a three-game series with Baltimore, you're thinking anything less than a sweep is a failure. Uh, and so you hope that for the A's, maybe the schedule can line up the right way and you know, the A's get the help they need and they can take care of, of their own business. Yeah, when I hear you say that, and, I, and these stats that are coming out about the Tigers staff and the Orioles staff and just how bad they are, this can't be good for baseball to have so many teams that are just not good and not trying. Yeah, I, I mean, and that, that's the disconnect, too, is that everybody in uniform is trying. You just wonder about the guys that put the teams on the field, what, you know, because they might, they might have a, look, a three-year plan. But if you're, if you're a player in year one of that plan, you're not going to necessarily buy into, oh, you know, things will be fine two years from now. You might not be around. So they're going to they're gonna want to do everything they can to win. Um, but, man, I mean, the fact that they that, – that team is, is just so bad, and at home in particular, um, it's, it's a shame. And if you saw, like, a blueprint there, you'd be perhaps more encouraged, but – I see Miguel Cabrera in decline with all kinds of debt. Uh, I see a pitching staff that doesn't have too much going for it, and and it it is it's not it's not great for baseball. Certainly bad for them locally. For their you know that's a very proud brand, and to think that they're probably in the midst of a two or three year period where they represent the absolute dregs of baseball, it would it would stink to be a Tigers fan right now. No doubt about it. And I think about Sunday night baseball and when you're kicking stuff around with A-Rod or even with uh, the guys you work with with the MLB Network, do guys ever talk about we have so many great young players that are coming up and they're, they're like ready to go from the get-go as we're seeing with, with Bo Bichette. Do, do the ex-players look and say, man, these younger guys, it's a lot different because years ago we talked about, oh, they're rookies, they're going to make mistakes. Do you guys ever talk about how guys are more – Major League Baseball ready at a young age than ever before. Yeah, I think a lot of players talk about that, and they also talk about how the game has changed so much that, uh, you know, in a previous vintage, 
when a young, talented prospect came up, uh, among the things you didn't want to do were be noticed off the field and strike out on the field. And now the culture of the game and the game itself is so much more accepting of those two things. You know, a guy can, a guy can make his debut and be a big Instagrammer, kind of a big social media show off. And it's just okay. Uh, a guy can, can be a first year player and strike out a bunch, but hit some homers and that's okay. Back not too long ago, neither one of those things were cool for a young guy to do. But again, the, the game itself has changed, and so has the culture around it, for better or for worse. I'm not saying – I don't want to sound like a cranky old guy here. So <laughs> that's, that's the game we're, we're in the midst of now. It's, it's what we're doing. It's fine. Baseball is heating up in the number one market as the Yankees have won nine in a row, and now the Mets are back in it. And you think about how scary the Mets can be – and they're now entering a really tough part of their schedule, and they have to prove they can beat the better teams. But right now with their staff, Matt, I, I, I think the Mets are no day at the beach. I don't think you want to mess with this starting staff. Yeah, I think most people agree with you there on that one, Chris. Their starters uh, have been great since the break. And going back a little farther before the break as well, but uh, to your earlier point, this is this is where we're going to find out who they are because 10 of their next 11 series are against teams that are better than 500. So they don't have that American league cakewalk. We just discussed where you have a trip with, uh, you know, Kansas city, Detroit, and Baltimore on the map. This is a tough stretch of their schedule right now. Um, I know that the addition of Stroman confused a lot of people. They thought, what the Mets, they're not playoff ready. Well, Maybe they had a sense that they were on the verge of pushing and making a run here because the Mets and the Nationals, if I would cite another team in that division, are probably the two that nobody wants to have anything to do with right now. And the Nationals in a three-game division series are probably the scariest proposition out there because of the starting pitching that they bring. And on Sunday night, you're going to be back home. It's going to be the Giants against the Phillies on ESPN. Of course, you're going to be doing the play-by-play. And, you know, both of these teams, they they need to get hot if they're going to have a chance to get into the wild card. Yeah, and the Giants have been a little uneven since the great month of July. Um, I, still, I still look at a few things with the Giants' uh, strength of schedule. The fact that their run differential is a minus. Uh, 60 something and and you think well you hope that that great stretch that they had in July wasn't eyewash because they were great and they played themselves uh, they played themselves right back into relevancy you know you can look at the, the Phillies in a similar light because they're they're imperfect as well uh, they've endured some serious uh, injury problems um, they've got some bad performance problems going on right now if Hoskins if Hoskins and Harper don't hit, they can't win. It's just as simple as that because their bullpen's not great and their starting rotation with Arietta's elbow uh, giving him problems. I, I just think they're going to have to win slugfests down the stretch. This was the time of year, remember, last year when the Phillies went into the absolute uh, tank and finished out the last month and a half of the season with the worst record in baseball. It started around now. So you know that the the psychology in that market and uh, and the kind of the the way Philly is like if that starts happening again, uh, it's going to be pile on time. And I hope it doesn't because 
Philly's one of those teams in one of those markets where when they're better, the league is better. And you can say the same thing about the Giants. So I'm rooting for both of those teams down the stretch. Let's end on this. I remember years ago talking to John Miller about this. You know, when, when you're doing Sunday night baseball, you're the only game on. You know, people are eating dinner or they're barbecuing and they're watching it. It's, it's, it's the game everybody watches. How great is it just to be a part of something like that where, you know, all of us in baseball are focusing on your broadcast? It's awesome. It's flattering. It's, um, uh, you know, I, I try not to think about it like that because if I did, I probably would I'd probably be worse at it than I am already uh, if I thought everybody was watching. Um, but it, it is, I, I get the brand. I get the, um, you know, the uh, kind of the marquee billboarding of that brand, and I'm flattered to be a part of it. Uh, I don't want to ruin it. I want it to be as good as it can, and I know that uh, broadcasting is a very subjective thing, and what we do on Sunday might not be for everybody. We're not everybody's favorite broadcast team. I'm quite sure of that, but we're trying, and uh, we hope that you know people can watch the games and, and we can stay out of the way because it is pretty awesome to be a part of a, a good matchup like that every weekend. Well, you know everybody in my fan base, the A's fan base. We love you, and we watch you, and we're supporting you. And uh, hopefully we'll get you maybe some playoff games. We're calling some A's games in the playoffs. Well, here, this is the rub on that, and this is, a, it's, this is the thing. If the A's win the wild card and get home field advantage, it's us because ESPN has the American League wild card game this year. And to do a home playoff game involving the A's would be, I mean, it, it would be thrilling and, and frightening for me all at the same time because the last time I did an A's playoff game, it was, I believe, 2014, and it was game two of the division series against the Tigers. And, look, I kind of fla- I wave my, my fan flag a lot, and people know that I'm an A's fan. When you're doing a national game involving your favorite team and people know it's your favorite team, everybody is going to be ready to sharpen their knives and jump on you if you sound like you're rooting for that team. So in calling that game, uh, I was so aware of that that I probably played it too far the other way. And there were a lot of people afterwards, that's, and I'm not on Twitter, uh, but there were a lot of people on Twitter afterward that told me everybody thought you were a Tigers homer during that game because you sounded like you were pro-Tigers. I'm like, wow, that was just... I mean, that was a fear mechanism. I didn't want to come off like rah-rah A's fan and start talking about the 72 ALCS chapter and verse when the A's beat the Tigers and Laren LeGroth per Billy Martin threw at Campy's ankle and then Campy chucked his bat and then Campy was just like, I wanted to go right down the institutional knowledge highway of the Oakland A's and uh, I didn't and I probably went too far the other way. So it's fun, but it's not as easy as it sounds. Well, hopefully you'll get another shot at it this year. Matt, we always appreciate the time. Keep up the great work, and we'll all be watching. Okay, man. Nice talking to you, Chris. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 